us at votrweekly.org. All the sermon notes, announcements, everything you need is there. And if you're new with us, you can click the next steps button and start a conversation and introduce yourself. But for now, let's lift our voices in song. I was buried beneath my shame.
loved us and you demonstrated your love for us through the cross of Christ. That while we were still sinners, while we were still a mess and far off from you, you gave everything. And Lord, in response, we, we declare our love for you. right now, God, we, we invite you to come and to speak and to move and to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for worshiping with us. Right now, check out this video from Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope does many things around the world. We respond to disasters, feed hungry children, provide jobs training to mothers so they can start their own businesses and feed their own families. 
and we provide the seeds, tools, and know-how to farmers in developing countries so they can see their harvest multiply. But why? Why do we do what we do? Well, we do it for one simple reason. We've been called to live lives of kindness. We've answered that call by offering food, water, and training and resources to almost 80 million people around the world. Believe it or not, our goal was never to help 80 million people or even 10 million people. Our goal was simply to be obedient. And one of the things that we've learned is that when you are determined to show kindness, God does amazing things in the lives of so many people. One day to feed the world is an opportunity for you to be kind. By giving one day's wage, you are showing extreme kindness to a hungry child, to a mother that needs a job, and even an entire family. When you give one day's wage, you'll not only be exercising kindness, but you'll be transforming lives and giving those who are hurting the best gift you can give them, and that's hope. Your one day of kindness transforms their everyday. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Vineyard. We're so glad that, that you've joined us either here in person or online at home as well. If we don't know each other, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard Church, and as you just saw, we are getting ready to take our Convoy of Hope one-day offering in just a couple of weeks. We want to show that video to just kind of prime everyone, get everyone ready that we're about to enter into this season. We're going to talk a lot more about this in the next few weeks, but basically this is a special offering that we take every single year as a church in the fall, and we give 100% of our offering away to Convoy of Hope, partnering with them as they feed the hungry all over the world. And this year, even with a COVID economy, when conventional wisdom would maybe say that we should scale back or take a step off of our big goals. We are going to press forward with our big goals because we believe that now is the time to stay generous when people around the world are in need and they are hurting and they are hungry. So I'm excited for this offering this year and we're gonna talk more about that in the coming weeks. But like I said, just wanted to get you ready and let you know that that is coming up in just a, a little bit of time here. And also we just hosted an amazing local convoy event in our parking lot last Sunday. And if you were a part of it, you saw this thing went so well. And those are the types of events, right, that your giving and your offerings impact. So I want to say thank you to everyone who chipped in and volunteered or helped get the word out in any kind of way possible. We served hundreds of families last Sunday I think the number went north of 700 families and every car was blessed with groceries and shoes and diapers and invites to our church, prayer, and of course all the love, kindness, and compassion that comes with a Convoy of Hope event. And so thank you for helping us love our city so well. It was a great event to be a part of. Um, and it's worth, it's worth celebrating this morning for sure. There's so many just good things happening at the Vineyard right now, which is always fun to report. Well, today is going to be our final message in our current series called Transforming All Things, where we've been looking at some of the next steps that we feel like God has for our church, a new mission and vision, as well as some of the core values. And in a lot of ways, this message, the message I'm about to share, really supersedes or lays the foundation for everything that we want to build upon as a church family. In a lot of ways, this is the most important message of the series. So let's pray, and then we're going to go ahead and jump into the message this morning. God, thank you for Convoy of Hope, and we look forward to, as a spiritual family, um, being generous to them in the days to come. Thank you for the ways that Convoy of Hope has been generous to our city in northern Colorado I pray that you would bless that organization and that you would cause their influence to grow in Jesus' name. And now we invite you to come and speak to us through your word. Um, speak through me this morning, and would you encourage us all to continue to grow into the church and the individuals that you're calling us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Mother Teresa is one of my personal heroes. 
I loved her before I was even following Jesus. I was always captivated and amazed by how she could be both incredibly kind and compassionate, but also fierce and catalytic in in her ability to bring change to the world. She could serve and love and sacrifice when nobody was watching, and at the same time, she could speak before U.S. Congress or address the entire U.N. Council and call them to radical forms of generosity and greatness. She, of course, was very well known for her work in Calcutta, India, where she primarily served the poor, and the stories of her sacrifice have traveled truly around the world, and I hope they get passed down from generation to generation to come. While she was in Calcutta, she would regularly walk the streets and she would wander around looking for people who were left in the alleyways to die. Some were full of disease, others were starving to death, and some simply couldn't maintain any kind of quality of life. They'd literally been kicked to the curbs and the alleyways of an already forgotten part of town, and she would find them, she would pick them up, take them back to her ministry center, clean their wounds, pray for them, and just be with them and and, and create a sense of companionship before they passed away. This ministry of hers took a life of its own and began to grow so much, and Mother Teresa was so compelled to not let people die in the streets alone that she raised enough money to buy a building in Calcutta. And she designed it specifically to to care for those who were dying in the streets. She named it the house of the dying and the destitute. And and this was a place, in her own words, where, where people who had lived like animals on the streets could come and die like angels, loved and wanted until their very last breath. Word of her ministry, of course, got around, and so famous people would go and visit her. Influential and and powerful people were amazed at her work, and even U.S. government workers would travel to India from time to time to spend time with Mother Teresa. A former senator from Oregon named Mark Hatfield visited Mother Teresa just a few decades ago, and he was overwhelmed with the magnitude of suffering that Mother Teresa would willingly put herself into on a daily basis. And he asked her, How can you bear this load without being crushed beneath the weight of this suffering? And she responded by saying, my dear Senator, I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. See, for Mother Teresa, it it wasn't about metrics. It wasn't about numbers or the elegance of her sermons or the giving records of her donors. She didn't care too much if influential people or powerful uh, individuals visited her at all. She simply wanted to love people until their very last breath. And she couldn't handle the fact that a human soul might perish in the streets and nobody would know about it. Her ministry and her calling were motivated by love. It was motivated and sustained, and over time it grew through love. Her ministry ultimately transformed the world. And I I love what she told the senator, that she wasn't concerned with success in the eyes of the world, but instead she was concerned about staying faithful to the calling of Christ on her life. And Jesus had a lot to say about faithfulness. He had a lot to say about our calling, and and his ideas for what our lives could look like. In the last few weeks as a church, we've we've been talking about a lot of those things. And how we feel like God is inviting us into a season with a, with a new mission statement where we, where we join God's mission in transforming all things. And of course, we, we shared the new logo and how we feel like this can play out in our lives through an inward depth with Christ and an outward expression of our faith in an ongoing way over and over and over again. And the last few weeks, we've talked about adventuring with God, big and small ways, being a transparent church, full of transparent 
individuals and how we want to stay committed to individual and, and collective development and spiritual maturity within our faith. But all of this will become worthless if we can't focus on the central theme of Jesus and the New Testament as a whole. Our new mission statement, our cool logo, even our values will all be considered garbage in the kingdom of God if they are not built on a more important foundation. And that's the foundation of love. Jesus gave us this foundation. Paul and others in the New Testament reinforced it. The calling for us is simple, to love. I mean, we could do all of the greatest things that you could imagine. We could have a ministry that, that grows faster than you've ever seen before. We could expand our budgets and our influence and begin planting churches all over the nation. But if it's not rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, we have missed the mark, and scripture would call it pointless. It might be worth something in the eyes of the world, but it wouldn't be counted as anything in the kingdom of God. Jesus made this so clear to us throughout his ministry, but he explicitly said it so clearly in Matthew 22 when he taught us about the most important commandment. Verse 37, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God with all that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the Old Testament, everything in the law and the prophets is summarized in those two statements. And in the gospel of John, Jesus says it in another way, giving us a new commandment as he called it. John 13, 34, Jesus said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Verse 34, love each other. In fact, love each other in the same way that Jesus has loved. And that, that means a lot of different things, right? Sometimes that means forgiveness, and sometimes it means service and surrender and sacrifice. Just last week, we talked about how sometimes it means correction. It means a lot of different things, but the calling is clear to love others like Jesus loves us. And then in verse 35, Jesus says that if we do love like that, that the world around us will know that we are his disciples. That somehow loving the way that Jesus has loved us proves to the world that we're followers of Christ. And Jesus didn't say any of the typical things that we might use to define a disciple in that moment. He didn't say that church attendance will define you as a disciple how often you attend small group or, or whether or not you give or, or you go on missions trips. And all of those things are important. They can help grow our love and they can help demonstrate our love, but not one of them can substitute and take the place of loving God and loving others. I, I mean, I, I really like our new mission statement. I, I like the logo. I think our church values are important, but Jesus made it clear our aim is love. Our aim and our target, individually and collectively, it has to go back to love every single time. And if you've been in the church for any length of time, these are familiar passages to you. But man, the human tendency is to, is to drift or to rearrange priorities, and we always have to come back to this. 
Also, if you're here and, and, and you're exploring Christianity, or if you're watching online and you're kind of learning who Jesus is, or you're new to church, then let me be the, the first to tell you that any expression of Christianity and any expression of the person of Jesus Christ that, that doesn't line up with the law of love should be a red flag for you. And in the Christian worldview, I think it's probably important for me to mention that Jesus is the one who gets to define love. We can't just come up with whatever definition suits us for whatever particular day we're having. But even if you disagree with the words of Jesus, anyone who shares them needs to do it from a place and a foundation of love. Our aim always has to stay love. And since this has been so important in the Gospels and so important in the ministry of Jesus, then let me ask you a question this morning. How are you growing in love? How are you growing in love? Maybe a better question is how, how are you growing in your ability to love? What kind of steps are you actively taking in your life to grow and to mature and develop your love for God and your love for others? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be just brutally honest this morning, and my hope, my hope in this moment of brutal honesty is to also say this with a, with a ton of tenderness and grace and compassion, but also, but also seriousness, because because I want us all to, to continue to grow in our love. If your plan for growing your love for God and others starts and stops with our Sunday experience, then it's, it's not going to be enough. If your plan for spiritual maturity and growing in love for God and others starts and stops on a Sunday experience, it, it might last for a little while, but it's not going to last the test of time and challenge and trial and loss and pain. It's not going to have the depth to get through those types of moments. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you this morning to invest to personally invest in your own plans to grow and mature your love for God and others, to, to live a life in pursuit of God's love and in pursuit of showing that love to others. This, this love, this, this calling, this ministry of ours has to stay a top priority, and, and it's not just in the Gospels, it's everywhere in the New Testament. Obviously, Jesus talked about love all of the time, but so did Paul, right? Paul prayed. He wrote much of the New Testament. Many of the letters to the churches that he planted came from Paul, and he prayed, always prayed for more love, always talked talked about God's love to the churches and always taught them how to love one another and how to care for each other. This is in almost every letter that Paul wrote, a focus and a centrality on the love of Jesus Christ. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard one of his most famous chapters, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? How, how love is patient how it's kind, how it never fails, right? We, and usually when people say that at a wedding, they say it with a particular loving tone, right? But this morning, I, I actually wanted, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13 a little bit, and, and I don't want our wedding familiarity and our wedding experience to get in the way of actually applying the scripture to our lives and applying it to our church, because I think that it can really speak to us this morning. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul starts by talking about all kinds of, of great things in the world and how every single one of them pales in comparison when it's lined up against love. 1 Corinthians verse 13, or chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, 
And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Everything is pointless if it's not done in love. And, and this, these first three, I mean, these are big ideas and big concepts. If you really look at the words, if you really think about the words, verse one, if you knew all of the languages in heaven and earth, if you could fluently speak to anyone, anywhere, at any time, I bet you could really impress a lot of people. I bet you could grow an influence and you could draw a lot of people into your little sphere of influence. You could become so eloquent with words, but if your words aren't spoken in love, Paul says, it's like a clanging cymbal. It's like, a, it's like fingernails running up and down a chalkboard. This is what it would sound like to the ears of heaven. Verse 2, if you had all the prophetic gifting in the world, if you could somehow see into the future and know all of the secrets. Just six months ago, if you could have seen COVID-19 coming and you could have known when to buy and sell stocks and which ones to load up on and which ones to bail, you could have become wealthier than you ever could have imagined. You could have gained so much power and so much influence. But if it came without love, Scripture would say that all of that would have been counted as garbage. It would have been nothing. Verse 3, even if you give it all away, even if you sacrifice your own body, you might be able to brag about it, but it wouldn't mean anything if it wasn't done in love. Paul continues for a few more verses and then summarizes this whole chapter at the beginning of chapter 14, verse 1, when he says, let love be your highest goal. Pursue it all. Seek the gifts. Seek, the, seek all the spiritual gifts. Seek all of the things that God has for you. And the Bible says that's good and it's needed and it's well but it says that love has to remain the highest goal. I mean, this is, this is a fascinating text. When you slow down and you think about our own values and our, and our own priorities, it's a great text for reflection, actually. I think we all need to read this text in our own prayer times, outside of the wedding atmosphere, and ask God about our own lives when we read this text, we need to ask some important questions. Questions like, who, who do I want to be? Who do I want to become? What do I want to be known for? I ask these kind of questions about myself. I ask them about our church all of the time. Who are we, God? Who are we becoming? And what kind of church are you inviting us to be? If we're being really honest, just kind of the, the gut reaction, if we practice what we, what we preach here at this church about being transparent, then I, I'm not sure the answer is always love. I think because we're good little humans and we're good little Christians and we gather in churches together, that, that more often than not, the answer is probably love. And even when it's not the top priority, it's likely mixed in there with a few other ingredients. But is it number one and is it consistently number one? When you think about the church life, churches replace love as their number one gift all of the time, and they replace it with all sorts of different things. Some churches want to be the healing church. That's what they want to be known for. And so they design everything around healing moments, and they design everything around being a healing church. Some churches want to be all missions all of the time, no matter the cost of anything. Other churches will pump everything into music, and they want to be the best music church that's ever been known. And some churches want to be the prophetic epicenter of the entire universe. And so they pour all of their resources into this. And they say, if we could just become the prophetic church, then we'll change the world. Paul said to pursue all of those things, to pursue them. 
but to never let that, the value of those other things supersede the value of love, that they always have to be second place to love. As individuals, we can do this too, right? We, we can seek the gifts and, and the positions and the places of influence. And, and like I said, love might be part of that equation, but the Bible says it shouldn't just be part of the equation. It has to be the bedrock. It has to be the foundation. It, it must continue to be our aim, the number one priority of our loves. Let, let love be the aim because everything else falls short in comparison. This is how chapter 13 starts, the first few verses. Paul says again that if anything takes the place of love, that it becomes pointless. But the second part of chapter 13, he starts to explain what love can look like. And I want to read a couple of those verses for us this morning too, because I think there's some invitations for us to grow in as, as individuals and as a church, right? This is in the second part of 1 Corinthians 13, this time looking at verse 4 and 5. Paul writes, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no records of being wronged. It keeps no record of being wronged. Let's just pause here for just a minute. And, and I think if we pause here, we can collectively admit that we could all probably pick a few of those phrases where we could grow. A few of those areas that need to be a little bit more developed. I mean, if I just pulled out my social media feed right now and cycled through it, I think we could all realize that this is all probably something that we, we, could, we could work on. I mean, if you think about verse 5 alone, it's hard to live verse 5 out. And, and, and as we're talking about this, be careful to not like distance yourself from the reflection and say, yeah, the world needs to work on this. Everyone else on my social media feed needs to work on this. But instead, have a moment of self-reflection with this. And look at, look at verse 5, because I think all of us, you, me, all of us together can probably work on a few of these things. Can't we, from time to time, be demanding of our own ways? As individuals and, and definitely as a society right now, aren't we a little more irritable? What about that phrase, keep no record of wrongs? Sometimes it feels like we actually do the opposite, that instead of keeping no record of wrongs, we actually have like a list of wrongs from people that have hurt us and it stacks up and, and maybe we don't say it out loud, but we've got the list in our head and it cycles through from time to time. God says that's not how we do it in the church. God says if you're a disciple of Christ, that's, that's not how you do it. The world out there, the people who don't yet know Jesus and don't yet follow Jesus, they might live that way, but for a Christian, for someone following Jesus, we're called to love in a different kind of way. In the church and in the kingdom, we are called to keep no record of wrong. And for me, this is, this is both convicting, but also incredibly inspiring. Because can you imagine if we could do this even more as a church? I, mean, I, I think that we probably do a pretty darn good job. But can you imagine if we could all grow in this? If we could all mature in this? Can you, could you imagine a church where nobody is judged from the sins of their past, but everyone at the same level of relationship with Jesus is entered in to worship and experience God? Where nobody is defined by the sins of their past, but everyone is invited to the table. This is the type of church that God is asking us to be. Type of church that keeps no record of wrongs. Paul continues in verse 7, love never gives up, love never loses faith, it is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And I think this morning, if you're looking for a way to grow in love, that, that question that I talked about earlier, how are you actively taking steps to grow in your love, then, then just take anything from verse 7. They all can 
can help us grow. We could talk about every single one of them. Just look at the first one for a moment. Love never gives up. If you want to grow in love, if you want to see this matured and, and develop in your love, then let me encourage you not to, not to give up on people so quickly. Don't give up on people that God has put in your life so quickly, even if they cause you pain. And I'm not saying you have to be their best friend. I'm not saying that you have to continue to put yourself in harm's way if that's what the relationship looks like. But don't give up on them so quickly. Because love doesn't do that. Instead, we can stay hopeful. We can endure through every circumstance. These are the types of things that love does. I want to close with this thought this morning. I've, I've learned over the years that, that my ability to love others is directly related to my personal experience of God. That as I experience God's love, I can then in return offer God's love to others in a more complete way. It's, a, it's actually summed up in our logo, right? Inwardly receiving God's love, outwardly expressing God's love over and over and over again. But since I, I know my own ability to love others often falls short, then I have realized I need to spend more and more time experiencing God's love for myself. And so I, I pray about God's love all the time. I find scripture that's centered on God's love and I try to memorize it. If I, if I can't memorize it, I at least try to remember where I can find it. And I pray and I read about God's love consistently. Probably the number one prayer that I repeat over and over and over again, either this prayer or some iteration of it is, God, fill me with your love. Fill me with your love and help me to know it and experience it. I pray it over and over and over again because I know that as I receive God's love, I can give away God's love. And, and since I'm human, I have good days and I have bad days. I have days when I feel like my love feels strong and I have days when I feel like my love is weak. But I want to share something with you that a pastor said to me a long time ago and it's impacted me deeply over the years. He said, Jeff, just because your love is weak, it doesn't mean that your love isn't real. Just because your love is weak doesn't mean that it's not real. I don't think that God is in heaven right now just assigning numbers across the room on a scale from one to 10 at how much we love. That's not, that's not how it works. That's not how he engages with us. God is patient and kind. He knows that we're all in process. He knows that we have good days and bad days, strong days and weak days. But God might be saying to you this morning that even if your love is weak, your love can still be real. This needs to be the cry of our hearts, to love like Jesus loved. As Paul said, we need to keep it our top priority. As Jesus said, this kind of love proves our discipleship to the world around us. And so, Lord, let that be true of us. And let that be true of our own lives. Come, Lord, have your way. Let's pray together. God, we love your love. Your love is so patient and kind and forgiving and hopeful. Your love always sees the best in us even when we see the worst. Your love is compassionate, compassionate and kind. It's sacrificial and forgiving. It's convicting and inspiring all at the same time. And God, we need to experience more of your love. And we need to offer it freely to the people that you've placed in our lives. Help us, Jesus, to be loved by you and to love others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, here at the Vineyard, we always create...
an opportunity for you to just kind of sit quietly and reflect on everything that you've just heard. Our, our, our worship team is up here, but they're just going to kind of play quietly in the room to create an atmosphere where you can pray and reflect individually. So we just invite you to sit for the next few minutes and think about everything that God has been speaking to you about. Maybe you could ask about how you can personally take some action steps to grow in love. Where in your life maybe do you need to experience more of God's love? And what could God be saying to you right here, right now, in this very moment. Take a few moments to yourself and shortly I'll be back up to lead us into a time of ministry and response. at the vineyard in addition to creating that kind of moment of quiet reflection we also always create an opportunity for us to respond collectively to respond to what God might be doing in your own life right now what he's what he's doing in this room or at your home right now there's a variety of ways that you can respond this morning our worship team will, will sing a few more songs, and so we would encourage you to, to lift your voice and create a, a chorus of heavenly worship, creating an atmosphere of singing about God's love and receiving God's love this morning. If you came prepared to give a gift of offering to the Lord, you can do that online or in the boxes in the back as well. If you're viewing online, you can click the Give Now button and give at this moment. And every Sunday, we always create an opportunity for you to receive prayer and ministry up front as well. So if you're on the prayer team, can you just come on down at this time and just kind of work your way around the front here? We do this every Sunday because we really believe that that as we gather, there's a, there's a unique opportunity to cry out to God for some of the things that we are in desperate need of in our own lives. And that yes, we can do that individually, but something unique happens when the body of Christ comes together. And so we wanna create this opportunity for you every Sunday. Of course, if you're viewing online, you can click the prayer button and one of our staff members will pray with you live. But I think for some of us, there, there's a couple of things. I mean, there could be anything going on in your life, but specifically to this message, as I was preaching and just throughout the morning, that God has been, been just ministering to your heart and showing you just how much he loves you. 
And if that's you, we would invite you to come forward actually, because we just wanna bless what God is doing in your life. We wanna ask him to show you even more of his love this morning. At the same time, there may be some of us here who have not experienced God's love in a really long time. We question if he even loves us at all or, or if his love can erase that one thing in our past or that thing that we're currently struggling with. And the answer to that is yes. God's love covers a multitude of sins. God's love will wipe you completely clean because he keeps no record of wrongs. And if that's you, we wanna invite you forward for prayer as well. Knowing and believing and trusting that God will minister to you this morning. So let me pray over the room and then we can respond as God leads this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come right now we invite you to move. We humble our hearts before you, God, and we say, what is it that you want to do? Right now, in this room, right now, as people are watching at home, God, would you pour out your love? Right now, would you begin to, to show people and give them a personal experience of your overwhelming and never-ending love? Would you help us to know it and to feel it and have an experience of it right now? Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's respond as God leads this morning. Won't you come forward for prayer? Sing with us, and I'll be back up in a few songs to close our service this morning.
Amen, amen. Well, thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. It's always a pleasure to gather and to meet and to worship our King Jesus. Thank you so much for being with us. One quick announcement on your way out. Baptisms are kind of tough in the COVID-19 era. And so at 1.30 this afternoon, our church is doing a baptism at Picnic Rock on the Poudre River. And everybody's invited, 1.30 at Picnic Rock. I know many of you have plans. You probably won't be able to make it. But if you're free, we would love for you to join. If you want to be baptized and you haven't signed up, you can still sign up, 1.30 Picnic Rock. And we would love to declare publicly for anyone that has decided to follow Jesus that they have given their life to him. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great Sunday and start to your week. We'll see you next time.